Okay, here we are again for another episode of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. I am your host, Paul Randack, and I'm here today with A.J. Mock. Yes, sir. Oh, I got the name right. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you for being with us today. I'm glad to be here. All right. So as we uh, are going to jump right into it on this Friday evening... Um, I know you know what we do here, AJ, because you were actually here, uh, was it just last week? Mm, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Oh my gosh, time does fly. Two weeks ago, um, when your uh, partner in, uh, in crime, yeah. uh, James was here, um, and uh, so you kind of know how we start off, you, you tell a little bit about yourself and your story and, and what makes you a bozo on the bus. So I'm going to turn it over to you when you're ready. Tell, tell us about what got you here. Um, well, it, it's been an adventure for sure. Um, I uh, grew up with a um, very dysfunctional family, actually. Um, my father was in the army, and my mother was a stripper. Um, I have one little sister. And, was she uh, in the army too? No, my mother was not in the army. No, not, not in the army, definitely. But she was def- She was a stripper. She was actually really proud of that. Surprisingly, I, I'm not saying it's anything to be not proud of by by any means. Did you? Was it out here in Salt Lake, or did you grow up somewhere else? Um, it was in Colorado Springs. That's oh. where I was born. It's Colorado Springs, Colorado, in 1987. Um, beautiful place. I love Colorado. I'd go there in a heartbeat. Air Force um, Academy's there, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's a really beautiful base. Um, I actually have a lot of family members that were military. Um, my uh, mother's side of the family, uh, my my cousin's dad was in the military, but I was pretty much raised military status, hardcore beatings. Mm. All sorts Hard, of hardcore beatings? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, my sister and I, we grew up there for... Um, maybe three years, four years, and then we moved to Orem, um, which was quite an event. Um, I was physically abused with my sister a lot. Um, but I, I don't want to make assumptions about your dad or by Yeah, mom, by my or? father and okay. my stepmother. Um, I was, um, it was not fun. I mean, don't get me wrong, I always did the whole Kuna Matata thing. Mm-hmm. That's like my, my motto. <laughs> what's a motto? Kuna <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's a motto with you. <laughs> but um, uh, it, was, it was really rough growing up there. Um, we moved to Pennsylvania when I was about eight or nine, and it got worse. Um, my, now, you say your stepmom. Was, that, was, this, was this the mom that was the... Uh, Exotic dancer? No, that was my biological mother. Okay, that was biological unfortunately, mother. <laughs> um, no, my stepmother. She was a hardcore punk rocker. She, she, uh, she was. She hated children. She hated us. She loathed us. She refused to let us call call her mom, mm-hmm. like which didn't bother me, but just to piss her off because I'm I'm an instigator. I would do it just to piss her off. I loved it. So you, you enjoyed antagonizing her? Is what oh. I think I'm hearing. Oh yeah, I was I was a little hellion. I was my 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 dad and my stepmom's friends and them would call me the the demon child because oh. I was I was a little hellion. I enjoyed um, stirring the pot, mm-hmm. so to speak. Well, and growing up in a household where 
I mean, I think you use the word, you know, beatings going yeah. on. Dad, dad being aggressive, and, and stepmom as well. Okay, that can definitely forge some antagonistic relationships between children and their parents, by all means. Yeah, I was definitely a rebel. I was anarchy all the way um, at a, before I was even ten. Hmm. Um, when I was eleven years old, uh, my sister stayed out here in Utah, and I went out to Pennsylvania. Um, to live with my my stepmother and my father, um, and I was raped um, several times by my father shortly after my birthday. Um, at, at the age of eleven. At the age of eleven, okay. yeah, it was it was really hard, and I would go to school with uh, bruises and marks all over my arms, and I would have to go to therapy, and I would just lie about it because, um, I mean, you're protecting that. I didn't want to get in trouble, and then. Sure. Um, but you didn't want to get in trouble. You didn't want him to get in trouble. Yeah. Well. Him getting in trouble gets me into trouble, and of therefore course. the beatings get even Makes worse. Makes the cycle worse. Okay. Yes, so okay. it was it was more in line, and that's where the protection came in. Uh, where I'm just like, yeah, try to keep that away. And actually, a week after I moved back to Utah, when I was probably eleven and a half before school started back here, um, DCFS was contacted at my father's house, and I was gone already. So, oh, so, you got, <laughs> so somebody contacted them. So did you ever tell anyone, or was just did somebody make a guess? Or so what actually ended up happening is when I came back to Utah because I was so mentally screwed up mm-hmm. um, because of all the abuse and the 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 physical um, sexual abuse. Like my mother had a hard time controlling me, my biological mom, and mm-hmm. so she actually put me in state's custody. Um, and when um, I went to ONA, uh, which is Observation and Assessment, which is off 45th. I don't know if it's still there or not. Um, and they did some evaluations, mm-hmm. and I had to go to therapy and all sorts of stuff. And uh-huh. I became a science project. They were picking prods and needles, and it was pretty interesting. Um, but um, You felt when, like you were being researched. Oh, yeah. I was totally a guinea pig. I was a guinea pig okay. from the get-go. Okay. Um, but when I was 13 years old, I actually... Because my therapist wanted me to do like so a... Where were you living if you went state's custody? Were you living... Um, I was living in programs. Okay. So ONA is actually a facility. Right. Uh, where it's a residential facility. Yeah, it's a residential right. okay. facility. Okay. So, um, And then they actually put me in foster care um, through the durations. I've probably been in eight foster cares throughout the whole mm-hmm. state, um, from Tooele to Bountiful to um, Draper, uh West Valley, like I was all over the place. Hmm. Um, I consider myself a gypsy because, like, I never had one. I never had a stable environment, never once in my life, Um, and it was really hard. But um, like the whole Kunamatata thing, like I just let it be what it is. It is what it is. Yeah, because I mean, I've well, I I bounce a lot, so forgive me. But like, for me, like, I have a hard time. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be hate because mm-hmm. my mom looks like Smeagol. And <laughs> it's horrible of me to say <laughs> that. Are we talking, are we talking about Gollum? I mean, I just yes, like, Gollum. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Like, yeah. she, she has so much hate and anger inside of her. And growing up for me, like, uh, the Lion King is like one of my biggest um, influences in mm-hmm. my life. Disney movies, because they have amazing, amazing... Uh, uh, what do you call them? Uh, the story, or yeah. Or, well, they have they have they have awesome meanings, um, yeah. and uh, 
uh, Akuna Matata, like, I loved how Timon and Pumbaa lived. Mm-hmm. Like, carefree. Um, yes, there's a lot of problems. I mean, Timon and his farts killing all of the land. Like, <laughs> like come on now. But yet, he was still happy, and he was accepted by uh, Timon. Uh-huh. And that's how I was, is I wanted to be accepted, and I wanted to be accepting, because growing mm-hmm. up as a child, I was not accepted. I was mm-hmm. not loved. I was not nurtured or anything like that. And it was really hard for me. And, so, and being in state's custody, being a guinea pig, like, all I was was a number. And so, and I did not want other people to be treated that way. Mm-hmm. So, for me, Akuna Matata is the best thing for me. And I always turned everything that was negative into a powerful, positive thing. Because if I just sat there and be like, oh, I was raped by my dad. Oh, I was beat by my parents. I was neglected by my mother. Um, my And they all did drugs and alcohol and 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 poor me, poor me. Mm-hmm. Instead, I'd be like, you know what? This is, this is empowering. And as a, as a young woman in in oh, this state, like, what, it was when really did, hard. When did that actually, though, when did that, when did you begin to think that way as far as that I, I'm going to, on some level, even though there is this litany of trauma over and over again being repeated, that I'm going to make the best of this. I'm going to live my life by this motto. Do you remember? From day one. Like, it was in my DNA. Um, Like, I remember a time when I was living in Provo, and um, my sister and I would sneak candy. It was like after Halloween or something like that. And we would uh, get in trouble and get beat and all sorts of stuff. And I had to protect my little sister because she she didn't understand. And she probably doesn't even remember half of it. Mm-hmm. I've actually talked to her about it. So I had to be her protector. I had to make it look like it's okay. Let's, let's turn this into a game. Let's mm-hmm. turn this into something fun and, sure. and, and enjoying. Because I didn't want her to grow up thinking that her life was traumatizing. Because I didn't think she was mentally capable of it. Mm-hmm. Bless my heart. I'm sorry. <laughs> Bless her heart. <laughs> but um, I, I I felt like if I can make it look easy, mm-hmm. if I can make it look fun and enjoyable, then mm-hmm. it becomes that, which is actually really interesting. Um, and I'll get to that down, later down the road when, when I got into recovery. But that's that's basically how it is. It's like, for me, life is supposed to be growth. Um as a young age, like my stepmother, she was a witch, and she would teach us, like you know, you make rhymes and all sorts of things. Things happen, mm-hmm. and for me, like Do you mean like a Wiccan? Is that what you're saying? Wiccan, about? pagan, pagan okay. whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. She was. Uh, she she not a witch like a bitch, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I could <laughs> okay, be maybe sometimes. that too. Okay. <laughs> but you were you, she she practiced in the esoteric yes, sciences. Yes, for yeah. sure. Yes, and um and I and I grew up that. In fact, both my mother and my stepmother. Mm-hmm practiced and so that's kind of the upraising and in order for me to get the attention from my my mothers mm-hmm. so to speak is like i would go along with it and i would try to do what they did and i found natural ability that i had uh, a natural way of manipulating i was like not only was i good at interrogating and causing putting spice in the pot but i was able to manipulate like no other like mm-hmm. i'm i'm the queen at it and and um you probably learned that as a pretty as a as a simple, well, not simple, but you probably learned that as a survival skill with all the with all, with all the trauma and that was going on around you all the time and the uncertainty and lack of safety. You, that would be something you, exactly. would, you would take on pretty early. I would yes, think. exactly. That that was that was the biggest thing because um, if if I was able to 
change the subject when I was getting beat and mm-hmm. make it less mm-hmm. less I was going to do it. Sure. Um, and that and that definitely carried on. And I'm not going to lie. I, I, don't, I don't think I'm the only person. I think we all manipulate. But I was able to... Well, I haven't met anyone yet that doesn't. So. Right. But <laughs> what I had to learn over time is that what's a good manipulating and what's sure. a bad manipulating. And, and at times I'd catch my, I'm able to catch myself to differentiate that. But um, uh, stays custody was a big thing for me, like uh, learning manipulation mm-hmm. in sort of speak, because like I had foster parents after foster parents after foster parents that I had, Oh, I just met you. So sure. I'm going to make you think that this is the type of person I am. And they're trained in certain ways. And um, if you, in the Utah foster um Utah Foster uh, Care Foundation um, was practicing sort of the love and logic um, uh, methodology back then. So, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> Doubtful. No, that just means that just means standard. You know, having good, having clear boundaries with clear consequences, and being consistent with them. Does everyone practice it? No. No, and actually, there was only one family that I lived with that actually was the best family that I ever been with, and it was a family up out in Twila, the Petersons. Mm-hmm. Love them; they were mm-hmm. the best. They had two beautiful sons. I was able to listen to my music, which I'm huge in, mm-hmm. and they actually tried to understand me. They they actually sat me down and was understanding. Um, I had a family back in West Jordan that was abusive. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, two of them: one in T- Taylorsville, a Samoan family. Mm-hmm. Which have very strong family morals, which mm-hmm. I understand, but they like I had a kidney infection to a point where I, uh, it almost killed me, and I have kidney I have kidney um, problems to this day because of it. But they they're very abusive, and um, a lot of um, families. So their discipline and punishment was physical, <laughs> which which, which is would... understandable. Like I can understand because I grew up in it, and yeah. like it was nothing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the family in Tooele and the family out in uh, Bountiful were probably the best family I lived with. Mm. Um, the old couple in Bountiful, they uh, taught me piano lessons. Like I was like 16, I was sneaking cigarettes and stuff. And um, it was, they were a really good family, older, elderly couple. Mm-hmm. But I think that my favorite part about being in state's custody was the, the culture um, I'm very big in culture. I like to learn different things, like different religions, and mm-hmm. um, knowledge is power. The more knowledge you have. Well, you grew up, you grew up in a, more of a Wiccan household than a Mormon household, though. You know, I have heard people compare them at sometimes, but that's another for another podcast. Um. <laughs> uh, actually, that's funny that you say that because, like, when I uh, when I was living here and before before I went in state's custody, mm-hmm. my mom was Wiccan. I felt so outcasted, and all my friends were LDS. Sure. And so I, my first time going to church, yeah, I actually, that doesn't go over very well. What, what are you? What, what religion do you practice? A witchery. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And so I was definitely like singled out. And so I actually went to church one day in a pair of jeans that were whole, had holes all over it, and a T-shirt that had stains on it. Uh-huh. And like I, I, I would go there every single week, and like. I I would even bear my testimony and everything, and I would have people just look down on me because my parents weren't there, mm-hmm. and um, they 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 kind of say stay away from her because she's bad news. She's a bad person. She's bad 
she's a bad girl. You, you were judged. Um, exactly. There's a certain level of bias and prejudice towards you. But see, that made yeah. me feel stronger. Mm-hmm. That made me feel like, you know what, no matter what you think of me, mm-hmm. I this is this is something that I want. I but want that family. When you, when you say, I'm sorry, no, when you say when you bear bore your testimony, you mean uh, as anyone would in in, mm-hmm. in, in a LDS yep, church? I went up to the pillar and I I, I, I was a very strong-willed person, mm-hmm. even to this day. Like, I'm very strong-willed, and, like, I wanted to tell them, look, this is my belief. Like, mm-hmm. this is how I feel. Like, God is real. Like, whatever mm-hmm. it would be. Like, and I would and I would do that regardless of how they judged me. And even to this day, I'm like that. And um, it to them, it, I don't know how they, I can't speak for them, but to them, like, they're like, oh, this this poor unfortunate soul. She's never going to make it. She's never going to be good enough for mm-hmm. us. And it, even with some of my LDS family, think that because I was actually married in the temple at age twenty, and I tried that. I I I, I longed for family because like growing up community. in a dysfunctional community, yeah. And family. yeah. And because the values, the the morals they had, like, <clears throat> excuse me, they they it was the unity, it was the love mm-hmm. and the compassion and the family thing. That's what I longed for, sure. and come, and that's why I kept going to church. That's why I got married in the temple, was because that's what I desperately wanted, and I wanted my children to go through. I wanted to break the chain that I went through, and that what my family went through, because my mom was abused as well as a child, and so was my father. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to break the chain. You wanted I, to break the cycle. Exactly. Break the cycle. Were you in state's custody until you were... Uh, 18. Uh, 18, okay. Yeah, I went to... Uh, my favorite program, I have to say this, was the wilderness program. I... It was. It actually closed down now because there was three children that was killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they died because of dehydration and or they some accident. It was brutal. Mm-hmm. Like it was, and that's what I like. I like a challenge. I'm very much more like you know what. Let's let's head on to this. It, it was this the kind of program where you you actually carved out your own. Spot. Oh yeah. A spoon, yep. what do you call it? Bust a fork and a file. spoon yep. together. A fork. fork or yep. Yeah, you're Well, we would, we would just, honestly. <laughs> I'm going to screw it up. <laughs> honestly, we would just pick up sticks off the ground uh-huh. and just use that. Yeah. Like, it was nothing. We would, um, I remember my favorite experience um, was we would get water from the rivers mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. and we would drop iodine to uh, disin- right. like clean it out. Yeah. And then we'd walk down the, um, up up the stream and there was a dead cow there all of us the whole quad alpha quad mm-hmm. got so sick we built grumps these holes in the ground mm-hmm. and we filled it up oh because like, you were drinking water from oh, a dead cow yeah. carcass and dude yeah. our shit was so horrible like we were going <laughs> left and right like it was like <laughs> like the it was like the 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 I don't know how to explain it. It was horrible. It was coming out of both ends, is what you're saying. No, 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 just the one end. Oh, just the but one. it was like straight water for all of us. And not only that, but we would have to say our names over and over and over again while we're squirting out of our ass. It was just horrible. <laughs> but that was one of my favorite stories to tell. Wait, well, why are you saying your names over and over again while you're squirting um, out of your because, ass? Because um, uh, a lot of people that go to like programs mm-hmm. as a child, they have other disabi- disables like some are bulimic and are. Uh, and sure. they throw up so and plus we're in the middle we're in the middle of nowhere 
Mm-hmm. Like, you, your blindfold. Which program was this? It was called AYA. Okay, yeah. Um, I and oh, I loved it. But um, you're literally in the middle of nowhere. Like, your backpack was about 50 pounds. You had leather belt straps, um, tarp, a sleeping bag, and a ho-ho, which mm-hmm. is a thin pad. Mm-hmm. And you'd have to walk around literally aimlessly throughout the wilderness. Mm-hmm. I've walked on ground that has not been stepped on for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like, I cannot tell you... Nature is a bitch, but she is gorgeous. Yeah. I love her. And the fact that she, what she can grow, like that program, just like it also helped me realize, you know, there's beauty in everything. In Lion King, the circle of life, mm-hmm. in order for things to happen, bad things have to happen too. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, that's another reason why I like take, was able to make, turn negative into a positive. Sure. Okay. Um, but that program was amazing. Um, it definitely challenged you. Um, I'm double jointed in my right shoulder, and um, I've had four surgeries on it. In the program, I had to walk about eight miles with a dislocated shoulder, with a forty pound, like with a fifty pound mm-hmm. backpack on my shoulder, mm-hmm. with everybody saying, "If you drop your backpack, you're shamed. You're shamed," which which is bad. But for me, it's like a respect thing because if we drop our backpacks, the whole quad would have to undo their backpacks and redo it all up again and it's just a pain it's pain in the ass but um i loved it i loved it it was beautiful um i went there during kind of early Mm springtime and another favorite memory was if we needed to go to the bathroom we would have to go at the end of our wiggy uh, our little our little sleeping bag thing Mm -hmm. and by morning time our staff members would be ice skating on our pee <laughs> it was kind of entertaining to watch. <laughs> I can only imagine. So what 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 led you to go to the wilderness program? <clears throat> um, so, I was a runner. I don't like to face my problems. Um, I I tend to like I do have courage in some areas, but in a lot of areas, like I didn't understand because like when I was abused, I didn't understand why it was happening to me. I just turned it into like a positive thing. And a therapist, one of my the things is like I'll take a problem mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll 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 face it, but then I'll carry it along and then I'll build the bag up. And so um, I tend to blow up when the bag gets full mm-hmm. and I run. And so I ran from a, a few programs before um, they put me in AYA. In fact, it was when the judge decided to put me in it. It was actually Judge Valdez. Um, I had Odon. Odon loved me. I've been in his office a couple times. He loved me. Um, but um, Valdez is like, you need to go to AYA. Because when they when I got caught... Um, For? Uh, running okay. from a program. Um, I had hickeys all over my neck. And it was horrible. And... Um, Actually, I turned myself in. Every single time I ran, I turned myself in because I had this thing, if you do the crime, you do the time. You take integrity, you take responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so like, I turned myself in after a while. And um, they like, you know what, you need, self- you need more discipline. Kind of like in the movie Holes, you're going to go dig holes, build character. So they're like, <laughs> you need to go to AYA and you're going to get some discipline. And I'm like, it was, it was like camp to me. It was like vacation. Like I'm away from... I'm away from the city. I, I loved it. I mm-hmm. used I used to go to the ranch all the time with my grandparents. Uh-huh. So, um, but um, after that, it didn't. Like I said, it didn't do anything for me. Discipline, like pff, please. I got beat almost twenty four seven. I got the switch when I was five years old. Did you have <laughs> any contact with your your parents at all during this time? Um, very little. Uh, my mother. Uh, 
her and I didn't don't get along mm-hmm. at all. Like we definitely conflict. We have our moments where we got along pretty well, but it was it was always head butting. Um, I we did not get along, and uh, she couldn't handle my uh, stirring the pot thing. Um, I w- like I was a very troubled child. I was I was getting in fights. Um, not I wasn't the bully. I was the person that beat up the bully. Right, right. You, um, were, you were the protector. Well, you learned very young to be a protector, I'm especially associated with your sister. So, uh, what? Developing a sense of social justice, young because you know you were abused and and raped, and and you, you had these ongoing perpetual traumas in your life, and so you when you saw um, moments that you could. Correct, if possible, correct a wrong, you would jump in. I was what you're. Oh, yeah. Um, I have actually have a friend to this day <clears throat> in high school and in elementary. Um, he was bullied a lot, and I actually went and I stood up for him. Um, uh, also, like around the corner from my parents' house, there was like a gang fight, and I'd go in there, like five bigger kids beating up on the little dude. I'd beat the crap out of all, all of those guys. Like I didn't, I didn't have any fear of losing at all. Mm-hmm. I never did lose, uh, and the guys never backed down either. Like where I grew up, it's cleaned up now, but where I grew up was really rough. Mm-hmm. I was like the only girl with a bunch of dudes, and my uh, my group of my group of friends would call me a dude with tits, no dick. Mm-hmm. And like and that's basically how I was. Like how endearing, dude. I used to tape my boobs down, <laughs> wear boxers and baggy pants, right, right. like the whole limp biscuit look. The f- no, I got. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, yeah you, want, you 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 want it to be as androgynous as possible. Exactly, because yeah. girls girls get bullied a lot back mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Like they, the whole womanizing type deal was really big as a kid. Um, and I still do. I mean, you know, the, maybe there's some changes socially happening now, but you know, the, this has been going. The harassment's been going on forever. Oh, yeah, it's it still, hasn't stopped. No, it hasn't. Not even for me, still too. Um, which, um, when I was a kid, I was, I, I had the ugly duckling syndrome, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I was a really ugly kid. Buck teeth, big shiny forehead. Like my, I was just, I, I looked like a horse. Is what people would say, um, and I had uh, I didn't develop into my adult body until I was like nineteen, twenty years old, and that's where more of the manipulation came in. Um, <clears throat> I realized, oh crap, I got nice tits. Hmm. I'm going to use that to my advantage to get what I need mm-hmm. in life. I need to get away from my mother. I need to get away from the poison in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, look at these. Don't you like these? Mm-hmm. And guys drooped, was drawn to it. And from an early age, like, I got married at 20, um, and it was actually well, another... Well, I mean, to be fair, you know, some guys are scared of, of tits, you know. And, <laughs> you, yes. know depends, you know, it depends on their, their issues. There's a whole other flock of them that are obviously attracted to it. So this is right around the time... I mean, this is right before you got married. So mm-hmm. when you decided to... Um, you know, invest into using your assets, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh. <laughs> but see, the thing is, is I wasn't promiscuous. Huh. Um, I, I, um, I was at that time when I was like 19 years old, I was too shy. Um, I was, I was scared of men, um, because, um, from when I was like <clears throat> 11, um, 
and yeah. 15. Um, I, I was raped when I was 15. I was raped when I was 17. Like, there was times I was scared of men. Mm-hmm. And so, like, to kind of to be like a get back at you, I'm going to be lust. That's sure. actually, that was actually my nickname was lust. Uh-huh. Um, my group of friends, um, I grew up and I, I, I listened to a lot of ICP, Insane Clan Posse mm-hmm. music. And so, like, my nickname was lust because, oh, you can look, but you can't touch type thing. Mm-hmm. And it actually pissed off a lot of a lot of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, So, uh, up until this point, mm-hmm. all of your experiences with men were, um, were abuse, were rape and abuse. So, and, and, ha- and what, when did you actually choose to, you know, get involved? When did you choose to do that? Um... It was probably about 19. Um, well, actually, I'm wrong. 17. Because mm-hmm. that's when um, I found meth. Oh. <laughs> I was smoking weed from when I was like 16, 17. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I enjoyed it. Um, but there was these pills that I would take at school called mini thins. They're like um, energy pills. Right. They don't sell yeah. them anymore. No, I don't I know think. What they are. Yeah. yeah. And I used to take those. I actually used mm-hmm. to sell them in junior high. Um, I almost got in trouble so for that. you were an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> More or less. <laughs> James is over here laughing. <laughs> I, I like to consider myself con artist. <laughs> con artist, entrepreneur, yeah. you know, drug dealer, whatever. You know. I did it all. <laughs> but, um, yeah, meth actually made me feel beautiful. That's like when I actually was like, you know... My eyes were gorgeous because mm-hmm. a lot of people would stare at the mirrors and they, 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 my eyes were my favorite asset about myself. And, um, mm. I, I would, I, I actually found myself gorgeous and I, that's where I felt like I was more powerful. And in fact, like, because I had, um, in one of my programs that I was in a private school, I learned, uh, martial arts, mm-hmm. um, a lot of Tai Chi, drunken boxing, um, Kung Fu and all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. I, uh, Actually, I uh, would um, go and collect, so to speak, for my drug dealers mm-hmm. um, at 16, 17, um, and I caused a lot of damage. Um, uh, I'm not very proud of it, but uh, there was uh, a few people you, that... You, you, were, you were collecting the, the bounty, so to speak. Yeah, I was okay. a bounty hunter, pretty yeah. much. Okay. You, you owe this person money you haven't yes. paid up type okay. thing. And uh, that was, that was, that was uh, I don't remember a lot of that time, because mm-hmm. a lot of drugs, a lot of meth, a lot of meth. Surprisingly, uh-huh. I'm not. I'm alive because but of it. But never at any of this point. I'm, I don't use the word never, but any point ever, any any gang activity besides. No? I see. Well, every some some police officers would consider ICP a gang, mm-hmm. but back then when I was younger, it mm-hmm. wasn't that way. We were, they weren't violent. They didn't no. cause riots, stabbings, and stuff like that. It was literally a bunch of us friends getting in a basement. Doing shrooms, listening to music, or smoking weed and listening to the music. We never caused riots or anything like that back then. Now it's just, it's all politics and it's just retarded. Yeah, I understand. Oh, it gave us a bad name. Curse you. But, um, no, um, the, the whole ego in me turning my body into a sex object or beta, so to speak, um, really, uh, gave me power, it felt like. Um, I felt like I can control 
I can control what you're going to do. I'm going to make sure you give me what I want. Mm-hmm. And it, it gave me an ego and um, it caused a lot of damage because, I mean, I have three beautiful children, but I don't have them. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't have a stable environment. I, c- I was not independent. Mm-hmm. I didn't do anything for myself. I always had the guy do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would have the job, but he paid the bills. I just gave them money. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of had power in one area and lacked power in other areas. And that definitely put a toll on me. And, um, and then I had, I got married and because I was so young, I didn't want to have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, there was abuse involved. Um, what do, you, what do you mean you, you, you so this is what this is when you got married you got married in, in the uh, LDS temple is mm-hmm. what you said mm-hmm. so you, you met a, a nice LDS boy is that what you're trying to say that's what I thought uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> um the, the see my whole I, my whole thought process was innocence like I thought the LDS program was all about um, love and unity mm-hmm. I didn't think that there was ugly to it I only saw the light. Like I thought, <laughs> I mean, uh, human beings weren't really involved in it. Yeah, they're all, all Stepford wives and husbands, right? Yes, yes I had right, that yeah. picture. No, no, I understand. Yeah, I understand. the whole. Uh, yeah. uh, A lot of people think that of of if, uh, of Utah, you know, like you know, what what's going on here? And and I thought that of like going through the temple and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, once I got married, uh, something that uh, stood out was we had we ended up going through marriage counseling. I was only married for six months. Because I'm so strong-willed, I'm like, this is who I am, and I'm I, I'm willing to change some things, but I'm not going to change everything. Okay. And he did not like that, and so we would go to therapy, and our therapist would say, so this is not secret, it's sacred. And I'm like, I'm going to, if if it's something that needs to be said, I'm going to say it. I don't have a filter. Like, if I talk to a police officer, and the police officer asks me a question, I'm going to say everything. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to leave anything out, because... I feel like I'm keeping something like I'm not being honest for some reason. Like I'm not being truthful. Like, you know, and that's how I was raised. You tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help you God, you know, and that's how the beatings were too. Except for one area, probably when you were really young, because you, you, you didn't tell the family secrets. I mean, as a child, that's probably a little bit different than you are as a a young woman. Yes. Um, with that, it wasn't, it was more of the, um, when they asked about it, um, it was more of I just didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. So what what is that uh, term? Uh, You're... Yeah, lying by omission. There you go, yeah, lying by omission. <laughs> That's exactly the term I was looking for. So I, in my head as a kid, I wasn't lying, and I wasn't I wasn't. Well, no, anything. I mean, and it, it, it was out of your. I mean, it was. Uh, you were, you were doing that so that you wouldn't have more severe consequences. The con- you already were in an abusive situation. If you told the truth about it, it would only increase. I mean, mm-hmm. or at least that's what you believed. You, you, you know, we don't believe Superman's going to come in and save the day and, and beat up Dad or something like that and make everything all better. I prayed you know, for but, it. But, you know, or... or um, yeah, who's the the, the lion, lion King, you know? Mufasa? Yeah, Mufasa. Mufasa. Yeah, yeah. Mufasa. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. sorry. I um, digress. Yeah. So I got divorced six months later, and I actually went crazy. Um, uh, I went to ICP concerts. I was 
that's when lust came in full force, like, show my body, like, because mm-hmm. being LDS, you were wearing your garments and everything's so sacred, no swearing, no smoking. I went crazy. I was smoking weed, I was smoking cigarettes, I was drinking, um, I was popping pills, uh, opiates, um, um, but that was, that was my extent until after I had my first child, um, which was back in 08, and, um, that's when, like, I was doing more shrooms, more of the psychedelics. No, no kids with the husband. Uh, no, no, no kids with the husband. Um, my, uh, uh, I want to say, like, four, four months after I got divorced, I mm. met my son's dad, um, and... I actually dated him before I met my husband. Uh-huh. And then after the divorce, we got in contact again and um, had our son. And that's when I didn't understand depression as much. And I was very postpartum. And that's when I actually took uh, what he says, a bunch of Benadryl. Like I just downed like a bottle and a half of Benadryl and some Tylenol PMs, which is not good for my kidneys. No, no, definitely. <laughs> and I passed not. out in the bathroom for several hours, and I don't, I don't really remember it, but I believe him. And I was smoking a lot of pot. Uh, we ended up separating, and then that's when I turned to psychedelics, acid, ecstasy, uh, whippets, um, pot, pills, like you name it. I lived in a party house, um, and. It was it was the best thing ever, right? It was <laughs> kind of like a this is what was meant to happen for me. Like, and my son would come visit. Like, everything was fine. Um, but then um, you felt at this point that things were okay. I mean, it sounds oh, like- dude, I felt like I was on cloud nine. <laughs> like, because <laughs> literally, right? I mean, for one, like I grew up both my both my fi- my parents, mm-hmm. my mom, my dad, my stepfather, my stepfather. Mm-hmm. Uh, my stepfather wasn't doing drugs, but my um, my father and my mother were, um, like, I grew up in this. They yeah. all drank, they all smoked pot. They, I thought it was normal life. Yeah. And, it had been normalized. Yeah. yeah, in fact, when I was 11 years old, I was reading Playboys. Mm-hmm. To the point, like, it was all normal to me. Like, this is what this is what life was sure. already. Yeah. So I was like, cool, I'm actually in the function of life. This is how society is. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. I had my second daughter, and... Um, that's when it got different father? yeah with a different okay. father um that's when it got really dark for, in my life um after I, I lost custody to my son i was drinking heavily um i didn't mention this but i was actually drinking alcohol at age 11 that's when i became an alcoholic that's when you started drinking um because i i wanted to be part of my dad you know i wanted to make him happy i'm a people pleaser and so i would drink with my dad i gamed with my dad i mean i did I built computers with my dad. Like, um, was this before? Uh, this? It was during. I mean, but did would I'm, I'm just curious as far as the sexual abuse. Did it during. happen? During. Okay, but the whole I, time. I'm assuming you started drinking with him, and then he took advantage of, of that. Um, okay. I, from what I can recall, I believe it happened, and then I started drinking. Okay. Because um, self medicating afterwards would be normal too, you know, especially after you know having that kind of trauma. But I didn't think it was self-medicating. It was me, like, I wanted to be part of something. I was trying to please. I wanted to be part of the crowd. Uh I was an outcast, and I wanted to... I was a black sheep. I wanted to be part of something. And so I I would do what he did, so to speak. But um, that's kind of the same thing with the acid and ecstasy. But after my daughter was born, uh, 
three months after she was born, um, her father and his mother took my daughter from me. And um, I didn't see her for months after three months old. And that's when my life really got dark. Um, I started to do heroin. Um, I didn't know what it... Like, I knew what it was at first. Like, but I didn't know, like, how bad it was. Um, I started... My first time was, oh, just sprinkle it on weed. Right, right. When they took, when they took your daughter away, did they say anything? Was anything no. like, you know... They asked. They're like, hey, is it okay if we have a visit with her and just, just have a visit? Mm-hmm. And I was like... I was hesitant, but, you know, I was like, you know, I'm not going to keep my kid away from her father. Because I knew what it was like to have your son, t- my son taken from me. Sure. Okay. And so I was like, you know, I, I'm not going to put put it on another person because that was painful enough. And so I, uh, I gave her up freely and it took weeks. I remember like, I was only smoking weed and, and I was doing pills, but it took weeks for her dad to even text me back. And I, and I would, I, it was, it was probably the most traumatizing thing at that time in my life that I had to go through. Mm -hmm. And then I'm, excuse me, sorry. I met a guy and he was a pill popper too. Um, my brother was actually addicted to heroin at the time and he was addicted to it for years. I would go over to his house, smoke my weed and he would shoot up Mm -hmm. and I thought nothing of it. I was not going to touch that because it was disgusting. But my the guy that I was dating at the time, he was all like, oh, just sprinkle it on a, a bowl of weed and, and it'll be cool. Kind of like how you crush your, your opiates and mix it with your weed. And I was like, okay, I used to do that. So it didn't work, of course. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> but I didn't know that at the time. And so they're like, okay, well, this is how you're supposed to smoke it. And I you smoke it on tinfoil. And I'm like, what the? Okay. It tastes like burnt barbecue chicken and like I'd be throwing up like my first time I'm like why would anybody oh this is why you guys do it <laughs> oh why would my anyone god do this and then all of a sudden the rush came over you yeah it was yeah. it was awesome and I did it for a week um I did I did heroin for about a month and a half total hmm. and but I was an opiate addict from when I was age 15 from when I had my first surgery on my shoulder mm-hmm. and um for the week, like the, my boyfriend at the time was like, "Oh, it's hurting my lungs. It's hurting my lungs. Let's get rigs." And so I'm like, "I'm scared of that." So I, I would smoke it like two days, but then there wasn't enough, and so he actually poked me, and it was it was the best feeling I ever had. Um, and how old were you at this time? The first I was time you twenty five, twenty four, twenty five. And how old were your kids? Uh, my son was. Two or three, three years old, mm-hmm. four maybe, and my daughter was about one. Okay. Um. Um, and uh, it all and it was happening at my mother and my mother and my stepdad's house. I call my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and we would do it w- within that month and a half. We went over fifteen hundred dollars worth of. Bl- um, heroin mm-hmm. and we even pawned movies like I pawned my dad's collector's edition of Lord of the Rings and all sorts of his mm-hmm. movies that he keeps in the safe now mm-hmm. um, just so that we can get heroin um, and uh, a very common thing to 
start selling everything in sight, and then, you know, what well, leads to selling other people's things. Yeah, but yeah. see, in my head, like, that wasn't me. That yeah. wasn't the type of person I've yeah. ever been in my entire life. Mm-hmm. I never did that, except for when I was a collector, of course, but I was getting paid to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a job. <laughs> exactly, that was a job, but I was, I've never had to go above and beyond and steal from other people to support my habit. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I was a pothead. Like, potheads don't typically do that kind of stuff. Um, None that I've ever met. Um, I mean, if you're that desperate to get weed, I'll give you a bowl. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, I used to sell it, but um, when when I've and I never had other than coming off of pills, I never had that physical addiction, like where like I had to have it. I had to have it, and if I didn't have it, I was going to be sick. And um, at that point, my my dad actually took me outside. It was the first time he ever cried in front of me. And he told me, he's like, I'll make a deal with you. If you quit doing these drugs, and he even told me stories about when he did it, because he was in a band and he did cocaine and um, he smoked a lot of weed and drank a lot. And um, he's like, if you quit doing drugs, mm-hmm. I will quit smoking cigarettes. And I will, and, and we will do this together as a partner. Mm-hmm. He never held up to that at bar again, but... I understand addiction now. Um, so that's actually when I broke down and um, my boyfriend at the time had sister was in recovery and she gave us a number, got a hold of him, met him, met up with him. I did my last shot at like 10 o'clock in the morning um, and I, I'm, I'm the worst. I mean, I knew my, ve- I know my veins now, but like I had bruises all up and down my mm-hmm. arms and he actually took me to a meeting um, am I allowed to say where? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was at the Alano Club, the mm-hmm. 12 o'clock meeting. It was the longest meeting of my life. And I've never heard of AA. Let me just say, I've never heard of AA. Uh-huh. I've never heard of, like, other addiction addicts. Like, right. I, I thought I was an only person, like, going through this that mm-hmm. wanted to change. Right. And um, the longest... It feels that way. Oh, it right? was the I longest mean... hour. And I wasn't even in full withdrawal either. And I stayed there. And then, like, after the meeting... Um, I met this wonderful person and he, when I looked at him, he had this glow about him and it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. It's like seeing an angel come down from the heavens, you know, like it was, I, I looked at him and I, and I asked him, I was like, so you're in this, right? You're, you're digging this kind of stuff. Like I was asking questions. Mm-hmm. I was like, so what's this about? Like, what's going on? Like, how did you do it? And do you still crave? Is this like something that, that worth it pretty much? And he, he's all like, Oh yeah. And, um, from that moment on, like I knew that he was a special person and he's sitting right across from me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, um, it was, it was difficult. The first three months of my recovery, like I detoxed in my car. I went to a detox center for just a couple days um, but I detoxed in my car for three months and, um, it was, it was, it was worth it to me because what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Mm-hmm. And in my head, um, I was, I was so scared of that detoxed feeling, the detoxing, the feeling that I was going through being alone, um, not knowing anything. Like I really didn't know the drug or anything to, finding all these people that are like-minded that have gone through this, that, that know what I'm going through and being like, 
a community that understood exactly exactly what what you were going through and that had been there themselves so it was it was conflicting in my head um when you said that you detoxed in your car for three months what does that I mean, are you, do you do you mean you kept going back to using? No. Or, okay. I, you just you just had lo, lo, you had a lot of uh, post acute withdrawal symptoms. It sounds like I didn't sleep for eight days, and the only thing that I could keep in my stomach was chocolate. For like, a, no joke. <laughs> I actually had these big, huge bars of chocolate, Hershey chocolates. I even took my dad's Hershey chocolate syrup. Because that was the only thing I can keep down. And for a minute, people at the Alana were calling me the chocolate girl. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I was told that that's what helps with cravings. That's what helps with the, the oh, sure, endorphins. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No doubt. No joke. Eight days. And then my first sponsor pulled me aside and she showed me the bulletin of the people dying of overdose and stuff. And she's like, do you want to die? It traumatized me. Mm-hmm. I've been awake for eight days and I'm like... What the <laughs> fuck? No, I don't want to die. No, I don't want to die. You need to find God. I'm like, wait a minute. You need a higher power. I'm like, wait a minute. A higher power? What's this? And so, like, it, 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 it kind of opened my eyes to be like, I was lied to my entire life. Like, my whole life I thought that the drugs and alcohol was what society was about. Um, that was my That was my world sure. to... This is how it is. You can't be a drug dealer. You, 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 you're going to have to find a nine-to-five job. You have to work for somebody. You, you have to learn to pay your own bills. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're going to have to learn to be independent. And um, I, I was mind-blown. Mm-hmm. It was really hard for me because, like, from 24 years of my life to suddenly sobriety and all of this stuff. Um, but with that... A completely different reality you were presented with. It was, it was, yeah. but something that was seemed like, almost like a foreign land, like a foreign country at that at that moment. Yeah, it was like coming from Hades going to uh, the the Olympus. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also the in betweens too. Like I was on cloud nine for a while. Even staying in my car, I was really humble. Um, about three months. About three months right before I actually was able to get a sh- uh, get roof over my head, um, I found out that I was really sick. Um, I was diagnosed with hepatitis C, mm-hmm. um, and when I went to the hospital, they actually were really concerned because my levels were skyrocket. That they were they were they were talking about doing an emergency um, transplant. I was jaundiced. For your- my liver. Your liver. Yeah. I was so jaundiced and I thought it was just a kidney infection because mm-hmm. when I was 13, I had the, I've had it since I was 13. And, um, so not so only. you didn't know your liver was shutting down. I didn't even know what hep C was. Okay. When the doctor came in and says, you have hepatitis C, I'm like, the fuck is that? And I was sort of dating this guy at the time and he was all like, I can't see you. If I can't have sex with you, I can't see you. And I'm like, we haven't even had sex. So what the fuck do you expect? But um, I, I had no clue what Hepsi was, and it, I did my research, and I and I was in the hospital for a good few days. And um, at that time, the three months, I, I was able to get a group of support system, and I got a hold of them, and they actually brought a meeting to my room, which was the most amazing thing. Um, uh, it was, it I, I, if I remember correctly, it actually did make me cry. 
because people from the club. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because um, I never in my entire life I was lone wolf. I was the right. black sheep. I was the protector. I had no support. Right. I no no one like. No, you didn't. You didn't, you didn't why would you trust anyone anyway? Exactly. I mean, just to allow yourself to open up to be vulnerable with people was a little probably outside your wheelhouse at that point. Yeah, very yeah. definitely. And then yeah. for them to come and bring the meeting to me, I was just like, these people actually care. Um, I went to a, what do you call those, uh, um, events? Um, what? It wasn't God Camp Out, but it was a, it was a USARA. Usara, yeah. uh, not Usara or something like that. It was five, six years ago. It was uh, at a location, and uh, some people were asking questions. They needed a cigarette, and they were asking the front desk. And the front desk, oh, there's people in the AA. They're super nice people. They'll have cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the guys actually came up to me, and I had about 30 days clean. And uh, he was asking me questions because he was heavy in alcohol, and he was talking about drugs and stuff. And I actually gave him my 30-day my chip. Mm-hmm. And I was like, seriously, consider it. And like that was my first influence on somebody else. And <clears throat> I had never gone through the steps yet. I was nervous about it because I'm hearing all these stories about because you got the you got the negative ones that talk in the meetings, and then you got the positive stories. So I mean, sure. it goes hand in hand. And so I was kind of scared about going through the steps at first, but um, it it kind of made me feel you know I can help people. And that's what I'm good at doing. I'm good at like helping people and and um, connecting. My dream, my dream job was to be a foster mom, because I really? I had to go through it, and because I understood what going through that trauma and mm-hmm. all the stuff and living that kind of life, I wanted to give back what mm-hmm. I learned, and uh, so like that's when I was like, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this right. Mm-hmm. And how was my biggest thing? Honesty, open-minded, and, and willing. Mm-hmm. I was willing to go to any lengths. If my sponsor told me to make a coffin, nail it down in the ground, bury yourself in it to keep yourself sober, I did it. Um, but my, my favorite motto was... Did you do that? No, but I did do this. <laughs> I had an old-timer come to me and tell me, stick that chip in your mouth. And once that chip melted, you, you can, can go ahead and drink. use. Yeah, you can go and have a drink. And I was like, like but that. you know how dirty those chips are? And <laughs> he's like, all like money. But, and he's like, <laughs> he's all like, chances are you put something dirtier in your mouth. I'm like, touche. 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 <laughs> yeah, right. And, I, and I, I actually have old pictures of me having my chips in my mouth. And I had chips chewed up like... I actually used that method, and it kept me sober, and, and I, I had my sponsees do it. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I had the most amazing first sponsor that took me through the steps, and um, I loved it. it. It it became an amazing adventure for me, but at the same time, because I'm an addict, mm-hmm. I made it an addiction. And instead of focusing on me and um, on my things, I actually made it about everybody else at one point i had eight sponsees uh, and uh i'll tell you what uh that that was a handful how, uh especially early sponsees? How, oh yeah how, how, how far along were you in your your recovery at that point when i was juggling eight i was probably about two years two three years about that no maybe maybe it was in my f- second year i think well, because the, the one of the things that that I notice, and 
and that I mean actually we talk about this and I say we I mean everyone that has had any kind of any kind of recovery from anything whether it be drugs and alcohol sex money food you know Gambling. shopping um, <laughs> shoes <laughs> golf <laughs> no, we get careful with that one. Um, the, the, this issue of self care becomes so important. So, I mean, you know, a couple of years in, eight sponsors. I mean, eight sponsees. You know, uh, that's that's a commitment to these people, which in, in many ways can be uplifting and and nourishing. What what were you doing at this point, as far as your self care? How are you? I wasn't doing anything. Oh, I okay. was not taking care of myself. Um, I was because. Even as like growing up, like I put others before me, mm-hmm. and so my self care. And I had several friends come to me and be like, "You need to be taking care of you." I was getting sick um, with my liver. With my liver, um, well, I was. You had Hep C, of course. Yeah. yeah so. um, doctors even told me that I only had a couple of years to live with how severe it was. Hmm. I'm I'm lucky to be alive right now because of it, um, but um, I didn't I didn't take care of myself at all. I was enabling. Um, I was a bad sponsor. I was a horrible sponsor at that time um, for myself because how can is, you is give... Being, are you being overly dramatic? No, 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 I'm not. Because how can you give something if you don't have it yourself? No, I, I, I understand. Uh, maybe but I'm being too you, hard on myself. Doing you, well, I, yeah, but you're doing your... I, 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 I don't want to argue with you no, about no. this, but, but I mean, we can, but I, it, but I don't say any purpose in it. The, what, what I mean is that it, it, it starts with just the attitude. Okay, mm-hmm. and I agree. Self care being the foundation of our well being, because if we're if we're always in a deficit, it makes it difficult to really show up and be there. But there is sort of the attitude about willing to be in service, and 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 maybe that got convoluted a little bit with um, wanting to just seek out approval and acceptance from people at the same time, and and that's where it it gets a little dicey, I suppose. Um, all my sponsees loved me. Um, and hated me, <laughs> which was which was appropriate because I, I'm a very blunt person. When somebody doesn't check in or doesn't follow the rules that I I put out for them, uh-huh. I mean, you came to me and wanted me to be your sponsor. Um, it what it was more of I didn't have enough time. Like my time management was was not was not on on. Um, I mean, when it was com- when it came down to meeting with my sponsees, it was always on par. Um, when it came to like saving. That was always on par. It was more on the lines like, I had food poisoning one day. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I've ever had food poisoning. And because I was of service and I needed, and I felt like I needed to help this, this female out. She was, she was struggling with her, with, with her detox. Uh-huh. I was sitting there telling her my story and every five seconds throwing up on the side of the curb telling her my story like I was not taking care of me yeah, yeah, that, you know that so, is an extreme I, again, exactly that's why I meant yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so um and that's when it that's when I kind of stepped back and I was like you know I can't do this I uh um I'm sorry and I kind of cut off from AA altogether actually um and then I became a pot dealer when you say cut off you basically Walked walked away from the program. Yes. For a while. Okay. I walked uh, I walked away from the program, um, but I, I I loved the I loved a lot of the the the, the principles and the rules the, the not rules but the the promises they had. Mm-hmm. And it changed my life. Like um, I 
I don't see myself at all the same person. And, uh, um, I, I would, uh, smoke marijuana for medical purposes because mm-hmm. it helped with the pain and I did not want to take opiates. Mm-hmm. Um, opiates is my, one of my biggest drug choices. Yeah. And I, you, I don't, I, 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 I will say, you know, James and I have talked about this exact issue and, um, I talk about it with a lot of people and I talk about it with a lot of therapists and, and doctors that it's, it's not rational to lump everything in to the, the, the same dynamic when it comes to something like marijuana. Um, and if it come, if it's about choices and here's this great term that I always like, especially for people that grow up here in Utah is the, the idea of free agency, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and I, I say that because do do we have the ability to make choices that are healthy for us? I mean, in a, situ- in a situation like that, I I don't believe that we can judge what anyone else's path to recovery or sobriety is, mm-hmm. and and to define what that is. Because to me, ultimately, it comes down to the way I think and the way I feel. Sobriety is not about the the food I eat or, or anything else. I mean, yes, it's all part of it, nutrition and everything, and I'm more aware of that since my heart attack. It's true. But um, to define what that looks like, so I'm, you know, whatever that whatever that is. Marijuana maintenance, if it works for you, it, I'm not saying for you, but I'm saying if it works and, and it's, it's a healthy alternative, it's just like someone that takes Subutex or Suboxone. It's mm-hmm. not my place to judge mm-hmm. them for that. Well, think about this. What about people that are overeaters? Like, you can't just not eat anymore. You have to learn a balance in mm-hmm. that. And see, and and that's that's one thing in, like, uh, uh, there's a show called Penn and & Taylor, and they have this uh, TV show called Bullshit. Yeah, I and I loved it. They actually did something on um, on AA, and I loved it because they you can't just not eat. You can't just not have sex. I mean, you can, um, but if you can find a balance and find that will inside you uh-huh. to be like, hey, there's that huge piece of cake mm-hmm. like sitting right there. I know I, I'm a diabetic, or I know I'm mm-hmm. an addict in, in chocolate. Yeah, I need to find a balance and portion and and have self-control and for me as an addict i i had a hard time with self-control because well moderation right moderation there you go what the fuck's moderation right you know (laughs) one's not good enough or it's just the whole whole mentality of balls to the walls you know like i do everything big you know go big or or don't go you know my my, my kids used to say this you know they go skiing they go go big or don't go you know well i i don't know can you can you moderate that you know i mean it's it's sort of an attitude yeah, and that's why we have sponsors to help us out. Um, I remember when I had surgery uh, and they did the biopsy on my liver. Um, I was I was taking opiates and they um, for prescribed to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would talk to. I had a thing. I hated hanging out with kids my age or kids that were in early sobriety because I don't know. I found old old timers a lot funner to talk to because they had cooler stories. So, <laughs> come on now, the 60s, the 70s, they have some wild stories. <laughs> those, are, those are my stories, 70s. Mm-hmm. See? Mm-hmm. I wish I was there. But, like, I, I spent a lot more time with the old timers because, one, 
they have longer recovery. Not to say time is better. Uh, it's not about quantity. It's about quality. Sure. But I found a, a group of quality and quantity people that had sobriety and it worked for them. Mm-hmm. And I wanted it to work for me. And I found a lot of um, kids in my age weren't doing so well, but some were, some were, you know, you have your 50-50 and your, the statistics weren't doing really well at the time. Um, but I would talk to them and be like, hey, am I supposed to be doing this? Like, like it takes away the pain, but I'm getting high at the same time. Right, Is course. this good? Is this okay? Like, he's like, are you taking it as prescribed? Well, yeah. What's wrong with it then? You're doing it. You're doing it as prescribed. It's helping with the pain. There's no problem with it. And it comes down to whether we're we're being integrous with ourselves, right? Exactly. Am I lying to myself? Honesty. Well, you know, one now, and uh, I should get on top of that a little bit more. So I'll take a second one, and that kind of thing. Now, I, I, when I had, I've had a couple surgeries. I had brain surgery um, ten years ago, and I, I, I took opiates for. I'm not. This is not a memory joke, but because um, you know brain surgery. But um, <laughs> but uh, I, I took opiates. I think for almost a month um, as the as this I was uh, healing from that, and I, I think the last week or so I started tapering down. And um, but I took them as prescribed. But I can remember. Um, my partner, my dear wife, saying, "You know, you got to stay on top of those." I said, "Oh no, I can, I can go without it." You know, and and she'd always go. No, you're. This is not about addiction. This is about. This is about. You need to do what you need to do for your health and your well-being, and don't. You know, this is. Don't don't to take on all that mythology and that story. You know, and be irresponsible, or because this this is. Do you know how to practice self-care? And I, that really was a good question. Do I know how to do this and do it in, in a way that's going to be healthy for me? So yeah, I get that. Yeah, okay. and like with self-care, like I said, like. Um, past six years as far as self-care goes like I definitely neglected it um even recently um I was in a really bad relationship um very abusive um it was very poison relationship and it was very chaotic and I was a living um in his truck we stole a trailer uh I hope my PO's not listening to this. <laughs> but um, it, it was really rough um, relationship. Uh, we, we use, we use, were you not using it? No, I, I, uh, I, I hadn't touched meth since I was 17 years old. Uh-huh. And I did relapse. Um, because of just the, the stealing and some of the, all, exactly. all the, the behaviors were, yep. you know. Actually, there was a couple times where I tried to run, I tried to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And my lovely partner was very supportive in that and trying to help me out. And, um, I had to go to jail a couple times, um, for this, for this reason. Um, but with my, the support of my PO and my partner, mm-hmm. like it, I'm very blessed now. Um, but yes, uh, be the last year, almost exactly year. Um, I was, I was struggling, I never touched meth, like, and, but me, people pleaser, wanting to impress people, I saw him doing it, and so I joined in on it, mm-hmm. and, um, it caused a lot of problems, uh, I lost myself, I allowed myself to get beat, um, there was a lot of, 
uh, mind games. You were replaying old stories. It was it was horrible because like I didn't for I didn't touch meth for like eleven years, Mm -hmm. and so this was all new to me. Just like like heroin was all new to me. I I was a pothead. I never drank alcohol. I I I didn't even touch pills unless I was actually went to the hospital. Mm -hmm. Like I was. I was doing good, and all of a sudden, going back to this chaos, it became it it became a a, a major paranoid, scary situation for me. I was breaking the law, and I, I've never I've never gone to jail until last November. Mm-hmm. Like I was never I mean I was a troublemaker, but I never got I was smart enough not to get caught, right. or I did, it wasn't bad enough, and so like for me to steal a trailer from a church parking lot, I will repent. Oh, that Um, was you. That was me. (laughs) That was me. And it was just, it was so crazy because like he was a user for many years. Mm -hmm. And for me, like I'm not a typical tweaker. So Mm -hmm. I'm sitting here, you're paranoid, you're paranoid. You need to stop doing this. (laughs) And you can't stop a paranoid tweaker. Yeah, it's enemies do that. Like in my head, like I had my own paranoia, paranoia, like conspiracy, like I can tell you a whole other day. But um, it, it, it became so bad for me that I had severe anxiety. I have PTSD from past traumas. But um, when I finally was able to get away from that, um, I actually came back and it hit me and, uh, I was so scared because like, I've had these conversations before, like I could have this amazing life, um, not having to fear if I'm going to get hit or mm-hmm. having an argument or being accepted or being loved. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't have to fear that what I'm going to say and do is going to be inflicted because meth, you never know with meth. Okay. Like you talk about bipolar, I'm bipolar. Yeah. Didn't want to go there, but <laughs> when I uh, when I got when I came back, but you're talking about the 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 the, the, the something like meth and coke stimulants especially do this is um, any long term exposure to them the the chemical change in the brain does look like it does look like being bipolar. I mean that it that that is the common denominator. And see, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've. I've been diagnosed bipolar my whole life, mm-hmm. uh, among other things, which is insane, but the whole guinea pig thing, but I am bipolar and, um, and medicating with marijuana, with meth did not help no, no, in this situation at all. No, it would exasperate those, <laughs> uh, those, the symptoms. But see, I didn't know that. I didn't know that about meth. Like when I was a teenager, I mean, I didn't know about that. Mm-hmm. And, um, so when I was finally able to get away from that, um, and then detoxing, it was extremely frustrating for me and my partner because he had to put up with me and putting up with me during those times was very hard. Uh, he did, he was damned if he did, he was damned if he didn't, sort of speak. And it, it, it did make me feel really bad. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't want to feel this way and I didn't want to put him through this. Um, but I couldn't help it. Like, and, um, but with his amazing patience, and his his will to help me, um, and with him having experience himself in helping, uh, I I'll tell you what I I don't know where I would be if it wasn't for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, he's a uh, he's I'm gonna start crying. <laughs> he's been this is our second go around 
actually, if you want to be technical, third go around, um, he helped me get into a place, which I lost because of the stealing trailer and whatnot, but he, uh, he got me a plane ticket and brought me home. And while I was gone, he would call me every three seconds. He was paying two phones and he was calling both those phones every three seconds because he was worried. And when he brought me home, he, uh, he told me how much I hurt him. And I didn't know that because of the drugs. Like, I was thinking, oh, if I just didn't answer the phone and he thought I was dead and everybody thought I was dead, that the mm-hmm. pain would subside. Mm-hmm. And um, he never gave up on me. My whole life, everybody's given up on me. I've never been able to keep a single friend um, consistent. Like, they'll come in in my life, they'll leave my life. I never had anybody that was consistent with me. And when he bought that ticket and brought me home, he sat me down and he he explained to me how much I hurt him. And I'm not the type of person that wants to hurt anybody. I, I want to help people. I don't want to hurt people. My intentions have never been that way. And... Those are your real core values, is what you're saying. I mean, you may have made other choices, and throughout life, you've found yourself in situations that you know you you did your you did your best to make the best out of a bad situation. Just like in um, the big book, uh, four four seventeen through four twenty, they they talk about uh, they. I saw myself as my intentions, while the world was seeing me as my actions. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a book thumper. (laughs) I've read that book a few times. Uh, but you know, it was, it definitely opened my eyes. And when I had to face my probation officer and tell her, I, I for sure thought I was going to go back to jail Mm -hmm. and have to get revoked and reinstated. And when I faced her, I, I called her and she's like, you need to be here by this time where Dill's off and the warm's out. Like I didn't check in for a while. Mm -hmm. And I went in there and I just broke down and she's like, why are you crying? It's like, because I'm facing, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm scared of the consequences. I'm facing my choices. I'm, I'm, well, I'm facing the, the consequences to my choices. Mm -hmm. And I'm, that's what I, my whole life I was always, I always did it. I always, but having that courage to do it, Mm -hmm. to go forth with it. And she's all like, what do we need to do to take care of this? Because putting you in jail is not going to—it's not going to be beneficial for you. I mean, I don't have any drug charges. I don't have any previous criminal charges. Like, I'm a good person in general. And she's like, jail's not going to help you. Mm-hmm. And so we made a, a a list of goals of what I needed to do. And because my partner, he's he's really good at um, networking himself. He uh, he actually helped me a lot, and we were able to get myself into a doctor. Um, get me on some proper medications for my bipolar. And so now we're not having as many episodes and, um, I'm now, uh, not having to live out of a car, which is a blessing. Um, I'm able to communicate, uh, a lot easier, um, with my ups and downs, Mm -hmm. uh, which at first was complete rage, throwing stuff and, and saying, fuck the world. I'm, I'm going to go out and I'm going to go use to, you know, I'm conflicted. I, I need I need somebody to talk to. I need somebody just to hold me. Can you please just just coach me through this? And um, you know, uh, I'm now facing a little bit of a health problem um, because of the choices that I've made. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little nervous about that. But you know, what helps through all of this is having that support. Um, 
like right now it it is just my PO and James and uh, a few friends here and there that check up on me. But having that support from my partner and from my PO is Mm -hmm. the greatest feeling I've had because the past year has been a nightmare, so to speak. And I'm scared that he's listening, but fuck it. Um, But I uh, (laughs) honestly like, you know, it's the truth. I want I want to be friends with everybody, but I I also understand that you can't be friends no, with everybody, and I and can't please every, yeah, and you can't please everybody, um, whether I want to or not. That, that's actually kind of why I'm on probation to begin with. Back in 2015, when I was pregnant with my middle daughter, I spat in my mom's face. She got a protective order on me. Mm-hmm. I moved out to Georgia. I found out about my health. I came back to Utah. My mom allowed me in the house. I did not know that the protection order was still placed on me. She got drunk, got mad at me, called the cops. I was arrested for uh, breaking breaking the the protection order. The most ridiculous case ever. And they put me on probation for 24 months. Hmm. And, you know... When I went and did, well, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, it was. It, that's law, and I fought it. And but the, that's that's that that is not an uncommon um, problem that happens. Is the a protective order? You know, you see it with couples all the time that this kind of thing happens, mm-hmm. where the, the one person invites them into the house and they violate it. They get into a fight because they've been drinking or something. And, use it against them. And, Blackmail. And, and off to the races. Yeah. Let's blackmail that person. <laughs> well, alcohol doesn't mix with anything um, healthy in the long no. run. So, no. you know, it's one of those ongoing things. But, like, when I was doing, doing a, what's that evaluation to your point system? Uh, what is that called? I can't remember. Where you go and talk to the person and they measure whether or not what kind of probation you need to be on. She didn't like me because I was like, she deserved it. I should have beat her even more. Well, my mom, she was... When the when she got it placed, she was beating on me. Um, she was it was just a mess, and I fought it because I was like, there shouldn't be a protective order on me. I don't live there. I don't talk to her, mm-hmm. but they placed it anyways. And I and I didn't talk to her for over a year and a half. And then I found out about my health, and I'm um, and when I went to court and jury, I was pled guilty. The judge, the jury, and the bailiff came to me when I did my first probation violation because I didn't check in, um, told my attorney that they all thought I was set up for the violation. They watched the, they had the webcam. Mm-hmm. They, I, I even heard the emergency phone call on my mom when she called them. Mm-hmm. And they all said that she, it sounded very conniving, like very vindictive. Mm-hmm. Like she was like, I'm going to show her. And it was because I wouldn't give her a bowl. Uh, of marijuana is because I would not give her some weed and because I called her a bitch and told her to go fuck herself. That is what I said. I tried so hard. I was like, mom, please leave me alone. Please leave me alone. And she would, she was just living. I was like, mom, you're a fucking bitch. Go fuck yourself. And I went to my room and please showed up. And you know, that was my bad. Well, because I, mean, I couldn't wash yeah. my mouth. Well, yeah, I'll yeah, take responsibility yeah, yeah. That for that. Probably was not the thing to do. <laughs> There's a limit, though. There is a limit where you like try so hard with somebody, but you can't argue with a drunk person. We all know this. <laughs> when the drunk persons are angry, just leave it alone. Actually, just high on anything. 
Yeah, regardless, yeah. If you're on something and they're enraged, you, it's not good to argue with them. And I know this for being in recovery, what, six years now? Like, in an, uh, this would be my, my, with the relapse, but like knowing about addictions, like, you know not to argue with them. And, but there's only a line you gotta cross. Like, well, it's bad. This is your biological mom. Yeah, this was my biological yeah, so mom. So the, there's, there's so much history of, and so much pain, and, and so much that has gone on for so long that uh, this, to, you know, um, to trigger that trauma, would uh, it did, doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take a lot. So, so something about that is so weird about me, and I don't know if it's because, like, I lost my soul. Maybe I lost my soul at this point, but, like... When it comes to my mom, like, I don't have that trauma with her. Huh. Like, it's more of the, um, it's more of a, it, I guess it would be a resentment. Well, yes, but, but you, you ended, you didn't, you know, your, your mom was using, you know, when you were younger, you went off with your dad. It would be normal to have, I mean, I'm not saying you do, mm-hmm. say, but, but it would be normal to have resentments to, you know, to be the or a certain level of abandonment there. Oh yeah, yeah. most definitely. Yeah. Abandonment is one of my character. Like yeah, I survive uh, being in survival mode and being abandoned was my main life. Like all my life. I when I would go to school, my mom was gone. She was in her room smoking pot. She was constantly drinking. She still does, to my knowledge. Um, I haven't talked to her in a while, um, but. It sounds like if you ever go visit her again, you probably need to have make sure you have a bowl. <laughs> and a case of beer, or her favorite yeah. alcohol is Bacardi rum. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I mean, uh, knowing, knowing, knowing the rules and the regulations around your mom's house, you probably need to be prepared for the worst, I'm going to guess. Most definitely. Hope for the best. Yeah, hope for the best. <laughs> but, so, through all of this, mm-hmm. through all of this, a couple things. Um, you know, do you, what what sort of stands out, I think, for you that those maybe those teaching or learning moments where, um, you know, the, these kind of life, life lessons began to become clearer to you? Because there are these moments of um, clarity that have happened. And, and what kind of, what, what are the kind of the lessons that came out of this? If there's anything really strong that stands out for you? Um, well, the first thing was when um, I spent the couple days in detox, girls would write on the ceiling or on the beds, like little um, so-and-so was here or like little help things. And one of the, the ones that stood out to me was, if you make it look simple, it'll be simple. And um, another one was, if it, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. God only, or your higher power, God only gives you what you can handle. Um uh, what what is your God, or how do you well, how do you define? Okay, now does, let me rephrase that. How do you define God or higher power or um, connection? How, how do you define that? In, so for you, with my studies, my whole life, I uh, I actually studied religion excessively, um, all kinds of religion. Uh, when I first got sober, it was the tree out front of the Alano Club. Um, I, I was like, if you're here in the morning, I'll stay sober. If you're here when I go to bed, you'll, I'll be sober. Um, as I went through my steps, I found that for me personally, a higher power to me would be a higher consciousness of myself. Because I don't, I'm not atheist. 
I guess you can consider me agnostic, I guess, but like, who knows you better than yourself? Mm-hmm. And a higher consciousness of yourself um, knows what's going to happen, knows you best and whatnot. So my high, I would have to say like, it's not like I get down on my knees and I'm like vain and I pray to myself or mm-hmm. anything like that. Um, I guess uh, um, the moon is a very big, powerful thing. It comes out every single night. The mm-hmm. sun comes out every single morning. Um, the sun's a good one for a lot of people. Yeah. Because most all life comes from the sun. That, well, you can't have the moon without the sun, though. Yeah. But, um, um, or no, you can't have the moon without the sun. That's what it is. But, um, yeah. Um, but, uh, and the music. Because, like, before before my partner and my PO and the people that actually cared about me, like music was the only thing, like finding music that connected to my emotion at Mm -hmm. the moment and finding music that will get me out of that moment or put me in a better moment. Um, that is, is a major influence on me. Um, but definitely like, and how, how is another really big thing for me? Uh, open, uh, honest Um, open-minded and willing like uh that's another big thing of mine chapter five the first paragraph it says honesty three times like and being willing to go to any lengths to get what you want that drive to have what you want in life that was another big thing and being open-minded uh is is really big because your your way of life may have worked for you Mm Um, but maybe bits and pieces of it might work for me. That, that's why people do the steps in so many different ways. Um, and that's why I've gone through the steps twice and they were both completely different. And I like that because being open-minded to like your opinion and your opinion and seeing like the, the different realities or whatever, it, it makes it so that you're not, you're not putting it kind of like if you put like jars of jelly, different brands of it, you can like, it's not just one brand you have to pick from. You can pick from different kinds. And that's what I like. I like to it's learn. It's a buffet. Yeah. Got yeah. 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 Recovery's buffet. It's a buffet. And right. there's more than one ways of, of, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Sure. And, and one of the things that, that we do talk about here a lot is that, and there are different languages in recovery and how important it is to learn different languages and be open and respectful of other people's languages because, you know, language is how we communicate. Amen. So learning to understand other languages and learning to listen to other languages only benefits all people within the community. Couldn't say it better. Love it. All right, let's see. Um, how, do you, where's your, how do you connect to your Zen zone? Where, where's that... How do you you find that? Music. Music is definitely my Zen zone. Um, Another thing is, is um, um, I'm actually going to start doing it. Exercising, um, uh, lifting weights is going to be exciting. Um, One thing is, is like talking about languages and different ways of doing things Mm -hmm. Um, from the very beginning, like I was suggestions like, hey, try doing this, try doing that. That might work out for mm-hmm. you. Um, I used to work out, and I mean, endorphins scientifically is proven to make you happier. Um, and so, like, and reading the big book was another thing that helped put me in a Zen mode. But most, the biggest thing would have to be music. Like, my entire life from um, Metallica to <laughs> Aqua. 
um, to Bach, Beethoven, like ICP to uh, hell. What else? I don't even know. Like I listen to so much different music because it, I'm you can bipolar. go jazz a little John Coltrane, oh something gosh. like that. BB yeah. King is the awesomest. Yeah. Blues, or even Ginny, blues. Johnny Cash, even like I love folk music. Uh, Neil Young, like I grew up in that. Um, I I am a big fan. Like the other week. Um, well, let's let's go right into this then, because yeah, let's go right into the next thing. So if you had, you know, we talk about a couple songs that may represent your life in some way, whether it would be a life celebration or things that kind of you think represent your journey. Do you have a couple songs that? Oh, see, in the, when you did it with uh, with uh, James mm-hmm. the other week, like the entire time, and then you asked me, I've been thinking about that. Like, <laughs> it, and, and to be one hundred percent honest, like when somebody comes and asks me, "What's my favorite song?" or mm-hmm. "What's my favorite artist?" I can't even put it put put a thumb mm-hmm. on it. Um, growing up, it would be Metallica, the Black Album, mm-hmm. um, uh, Offspring, Americana. The album, mm-hmm. uh, I would, uh, um, uh, recently it's been, um, I've been listening to a lot of, like, uh, in this moment, uh, Marilyn Manson rave music from Marshmallow to Glitch Mob, um, it helps get me moving in the morning, but, like, uh, uh in this moment, Marilyn Manson, Three Days Grace, uh, my bullet from Valentine uh, to even playing like Beethoven and Bach. Actually, like uh, I can play this fourth symphony on the piano, um, and I'm very, very cultural, just depending on my bipolar mood. <laughs> kind of like Utah <laughs> wait, weather. We go back just a little bit. So mm-hmm. you play piano? Yes. Okay. Um, I learned uh, in elementary. We were all taught piano, mm-hmm. so I I was able to learn. Like I can play "Imagine" um, by John Lennon. Yeah, uh, my my dad actually taught me that um, to the Fourth Symphony, um, "Ode to Joy." Um, I enjoy music. I play the drums um, back when I was a kid. I wish I could again, um, but I I grew up like my my dad was in a band. He plays the bass guitar. My lovely partner. Um, I don't want to embarrass him, but he loves to play the guitar for me. Uh, and, we're alone, which I love. So, yeah. Um, he's amazing at it. He's really good at playing John Cash. I like that. Um, I think I'd like to see that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think I'm going to request uh, He's really good. Session. I'd like to see him do some John Cash. Oh, and he is great with the vocals, too. Like, I, I, I'm not even joking. Like, for me, like, I'm always drawn to talent. And when, like I said, when I first got, my, the day that I got sober, like that angel, like, for, like I don't know if it's a, a gift of mine, but like I'm drawn to like uh, gifts and special abilities. And I'll tell you what, him and his guitar and his voice, like, I just sit there and I'm just like hypnotized by him and I'm just like, don't stop, please don't stop. With, uh-huh. with acoustic or electric, like he's an amazing artist. There's the Zen Zone. Yes, there you go. Yeah, listen, listen. Well, and and if your partner plays music and it really resonates for you, that's a beautiful thing. All right. Well, this has been quite an afternoon, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I bounce everywhere. <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. 
You're fine. Um, the, I appreciate you coming and sharing your story today. The, the idea and the, I mean, the, the underlying theme of your youth was so much trauma and and, um, and and abuse and being able to come come out of that and feel and, and feel still connected to society and and humanity. Um, really says something strong about the human spirit. It feels like, um, as as I as I kind of listen to you unpack this and 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 share the different aspects to this, and it, it really it really resonates for me that you know, and and I and I, and I know I know James understands this too, but this idea that we really aren't broken, that we it's somewhere within us that we are that whole contained mm-hmm. human being. And I, I think you said something earlier that stood out that about well I thought I lost my soul and and the and it feels like that I mean I understand it feels like that because maybe the worthlessness or the hopelessness or the depression and things like that can get so intense that we feel fragmented but the truth is you can't do enough drugs or you can't have enough problems or, or violence or abuse in life to, to kill it to kill off our soul, to kill off our, our authentic self. Our, desensitized to a certain point, yeah, but no, no. There's everybody has that, it. That authentic part of ourselves, that mm-hmm. soul, that that truth within us is something that mm-hmm. can withstand everything. And I think that uh, that your your story definitely represents that beautifully. So I thank you for coming out and oh, spending was, this uh, pleasure. this Friday evening with us. So um James, good to see you again. <laughs> and I'm I'm looking forward to some Johnny Cash. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. We will go out as we usually do with a little Joan Armstrong. Have a good week. See